0: Welcome to another edition of the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dillon-Thomas, and today we're going to talk about decision fatigue and one of the clearest places this comes into play is kind of scary. So if you are up for uh, parole, try to do it uh, right after the judges had a meal. There was a uh, paper that came out called Extraneous Factors in Judicial Decisions, Danziger Lavav Avnaim Peso, 2011. Um, and I just want to read to you from the abstract. Uh, we record the judges' two daily food breaks, which result in segmenting the deliberations of the day into three distinct, quote-unquote, decision sessions. Um, we find find... find that the percentage of favorable rulings drops gradually from around 65% to nearly zero within each decision session and returns abruptly to 65% after a break, right? So make sure the judge is well fed before he has to rule on your case. Um, so scary enough that that shows up in judicial decisions, um, but it can also show up in medical decisions, so uh, apparently antibiotics are very often over-prescribed, and so there's a particular uh, antibiotic you're giving out for something called acute respiratory infections, and they uh, studied that particularly, and what they found was that doctors' likelihood to prescribe antibiotics for acute respiratory infections increases throughout the day, right, and it's not likely that they happen to be seeing more patients who actually have a need for the antibiotics as the day goes on. So the more likely explanation is that as the day goes on, they are going with the less risky decision, which is to give the antibiotic just in case, right? Um, but it ends up being, you know, more unnecessary. So that's, you know, in a nutshell, that is decision fatigue. It's this notion that you really only have so much energy to make decisions throughout the day. And the longer the day goes, the worse your decisions get or the fewer decisions you'll actually make, you'll just default. And I mean, that's kind of what's happening with the judge, right? If it's uh, a favorable ruling, let's say it's a parole hearing and the favorable ruling would be to let, you know, put you on parole. Um, if I'm really tired and I don't want to make uh, a risky decision or think hard about a decision, the safest thing to do is leave you in jail. So that's the more likely outcome. Um, so decision fatigue is sort of a version of this concept called ego depletion, which is like your body making decisions, like literally takes physical energy. And you'll see with some of these experiments, they were kind of translating uh, mental energy into physical energy and how they would kind of test this. Um, but uh there's also, you know, potentially a little bit of uh reactance at work here too. Reactance is a bias we've talked about, I think back in season one, where um you don't want anyone telling you what to do and you don't want your options being shut down. And so again, with those judges, right, if I don't give you parole, I can always change my mind later. If I do give you parole, I can't change my mind. You're or I'm sorry, the other way around. If I don't give you parole, I can change my mind later. But if I do let you out, um you know, do give your poll I can't undo that as easily, right? Um, if I give you a favorable ruling, it's really harder for me to undo that than if I give you a negative ruling. Um, or I can change your sentencing from uh, more to less, but I can't change it from less to more, right? Um, uh, so, New York Times wrote an interesting article about this back in the day, and uh, they brought up the sort of interesting point that uh, the word "decide" and "homicide" share the same root. Um, and it's kadir, cadere or kadere, uh, which means to, uh, to cut down or kill, right? So for us, decisions are a very permanent, you know, high stakes thing. Um, I want to say this is a Nietzsche quote, but I'm not sure who said it, but, uh, to choose is to omit, right? Like every choice we make has a cost and, uh, in psychology, they call these like trade offs, right? They're these trade offs and the trickier the trade offs get, um, the worse we get at making them. So. Another way you can see this play out is in uh, car buying decisions, right? And there's all these different options you have for the car. And when the salesperson sort of gives you the option can affect which options you'll say yes to. So. Um, If I'm trying to sell you this car and I give you like 50 different things you have to choose from the time You get to like the 30th thing you're just saying yes to whatever because you just want it to stop Right, and so I can manipulate that right I can say okay Well, I'm gonna make you make a bunch of decisions about low-cost items like you know rims or rust proofing and then When it comes time for like something really expensive like souping up the engine I'll wait until your you know your ego is depleted right and you're down to your last decision and you're just like Please just make it stop fine. Yes. Let's just move on right um and they've looked at this um, uh, in, in shopping behavior in particular. They did an experiment where they would look at shoppers at malls, um, and they would find that you know the more shopping they had done, the less willpower they had. And a lot of times the way they they sort of test this is they have you know some sort of you know test of will, right? So it might be you know putting your hand in a glass of like or a, a bowl of really icy water, right? Um, And it's one of those things where it takes willpower to keep your hand there or holding on to a hand grip, right? Um, And the idea is that the more depleted your ego is, the more decision fatigue you have. It's a literal fatigue, right? I've made so many decisions that I can't keep my hand in, long, in, in the ice water as long as the other person who didn't make as many decisions. So the people who had done less shopping were able to hold their hand in the water longer than the people who had done more. Um, Dean Spears of Princeton did some work around this in India where people who were um, poor or poorer you know, had to make decisions about things like buying soap and then they would test how long they could hold on to like a hand grip. And for the poorer classes, it was more difficult, right? They had, they'd run out of decision energy sooner than their richer counterparts. And this brings up a really interesting and important point around decision fatigue, because it highlights a misconception that we have around poor people, around people living in poverty. Um, and it's that it's their choice, right? Their lack of will, right, is the thing that's causing them to be poor. They have have a lack of discipline. There's something inherently wrong with them. And that's why they make poor life choices like, you know, not eating healthily, right? Um, if they have the choice between something healthy and something unhealthy, they choose the unhealthy thing, right? Um, and mind like the availability of healthy food or not, even if you take that out of the equation, there's all these sort of illusions to kind of dispel here. So one thing, and I love the way, um, he opens this paper. He talks about this notion that rich and poor alike act impatiently, right? Like so, we assume that there's this impatience that the poor have, which leads them to not saving up money or something. But rich people are just as impatient as poor people. That's not the factor, right? And the idea that that um, he was trying to kind of flip on the on its head is this notion that um, people there's this idea that people are poor because of their behavior. Right, and he was sort of saying, "Well, what if it's their their behavior is actually a result of them being poor?" Right. Um, and so poverty causes, you know, tougher economic decisions than wealth, right? So if I'm wealthy, what I have to choose between is, you know, the Lexus or the Porsche, right? If I'm poor, what I have to choose between is insulin or paying my rent, right? It's a like higher stakes, right? Decision, which is a more depleting decision, right? The higher stakes decision takes more mental energy. And after I've had to make a few of those throughout the day, by the end of the day, I'm making terrible decisions because I don't have the energy to really think things through anymore, And attention is limited and directed to whatever is scarce, right? And again, if I'm really rich, I don't have to deal with a lot of scarcity at all. Um, so the higher the stakes, the higher the depletion, right? And there's less willpower to do things like eat well. And think about it, right? The way that a, um, Uh, grocery stores architect it, right? When do you get to the snacks? When you've done all of your shopping and you're about to buy, that's when they hit you with the gum and the snacks and the things, right? That's on purpose, right? Uh, By the time you get there, you're too tired to resist. Um, Now, there's some disagreement in the community around this. Someone named Carol Dweck, um, uh, a doctor who studies this stuff, says, okay, uh, yes, there's this thing that I call decision fatigue, but if you don't believe that you have a limited or small amount of willpower, you know, when it comes to this stuff, it's not going to be as impactful for you, right? So um, it basically, it only works if you think it does. If you think willpower is limitless or at least has a much higher limit, it doesn't work as strongly. So she's done some research around it, which is an interesting kind of take on all of this. Um, But even in those cases, she says, like, it isn't really limitless. Like, you know, people do believe it has a limit. They just believe that limit is higher than other people. And if you have a higher belief as to how far, you know, your willpower can take you, um, uh, then you'll do better. Um, uh, But either way, though, it, it becomes important to decide what to spend your energy on, right? Like, whether you think it's a small amount or a large amount, you, if you can agree that it's finite, it suddenly becomes much more important to say, okay, I need to be careful about what decisions I make when, because if I make too many tough ones or, or waste that energy on stupid things, when it comes time to make important decisions, I won't be able to like make those rationally. Um, so like one of the um, sort of tropes around this, I don't know if it's true or not, but they talk about how, how uh, Obama like just had the same suits, right? Like in his closet every day, So he didn't have to think, he didn't have to spend a lot of energy deciding which suit to wear. It was all the same, right? He, you know, he was able to like use that energy for making more important decisions. Um, one of the things that I've been kind of curious about, and we talked about this a little bit with, uh, Zwei Kwok when we were, um, a couple episodes ago, but it's this notion that, um, if you think about that, you know, energy, right, that muscle you have to like work when you're making a tough decision, um, if you really do think of it as a muscle, then it's the kind of thing where the more you work it out, the more you can extend it, right? The more energy you'll have to, um, make more decisions throughout the day. Um, and one of the, the notions is that, you know, mindfulness or meditation is a way to extend that muscle, right? Um, and I don't have hard evidence on this yet, but I have heard Multiple times from people who study this, that that's kind of the the, the field of study or The thought now is that mindfulness is a way to kind of extend your capacity to make lots of decisions. Um, so I'm curious to see you know how that plays out, and it makes me personally more curious about meditation. Going back to the whole um, uh, uh, you know glucose thing, so this notion that like you know you run out of energy and you make bad food choices. So one of the things they did look at is how do you get that energy back? And you remember those judges, when they would take a food break, suddenly they were you know, making many more favorable decisions, right? So part of the idea is that hanger is an actual thing, right? So there's this thing called the Mardi Gras effect where they wondered, like, do people, like, does the function of something like Mardi Gras where you go out and you just indulge and binge on indulging, like prepare you for a longer period of, like, not indulging, right? And so they did experiments around having people eat lots of sweet foods And, you know, then do like different tests of like willpower. And one of the things that they looked at though was like, is it that it has to be a sweet food or is it just the glucose? So they gave people this really crappy tasting food that happened to have a lot of glucose and the results were the same as if they gave them actually sweet tasting food. So the theory was that it's actually the glucose. If you can raise your blood sugar enough, at least for temporarily, it kind of brings back that willpower. Um, And the notion is that Without glucose, your brain will shift focus, right? It'll shift focus to more quick rewards, uh, which means poor decision-making or at least less thought-through decision-making. When you have the glucose there, right, you're able to, basically, it retasks where that blood is flowing and you're able to, you know, think more clearly about decisions or at least not focus as much on quick gains. Um, Now, what's interesting about this, it means that dieting becomes really paradoxical, right? Because dieting is a high willpower um, effort, right? You have to make decisions throughout the day to choose between, like, an unhealthy food, which is a quick win, or healthier food, which is, you know, a slower gain. The problem is, the more you do that, you are depl- every time you make that decision, right, you are depleting yourself, right, of the energy to make the next one. Each resisting of food makes the next resistance harder, right, to the point where now, like, you're you're basically making the case for eating the bad food and putting yourself in a position where you're much more vulnerable to wanting to eat the bad food every time you make the choice not to, um, so good luck with that. Um, <laughs> but that, you know, that's yet another reason why dieting is so incredibly difficult. Um, uh, there's a great quote I kind of want to end on here uh, that comes from a guy named Roy Baumeister. who's was one of the key people who studied this and I think actually did this work out of, um, uh, Penn, uh, University of Pennsylvania. Yay. Philadelphia. Um, anyway, the quote is the best decision makers are the ones who know when not to trust themselves. Right. And this all kind of comes back to self knowledge, right. And understanding, you know, how much energy you have left and doing what you can to like, basically, Counteract future Dave <laughs> or future whoever, you know, um, uh, to say, okay, I know future Dave is going to be really tired and make really bad decisions. So let me make as many of the, uh, tough decisions upfront and change, you know, the, the course of my day or the way my day is structured so that the most important decisions are the ones that happen earlier in the day, or at least right after I've had a good thing, something good to eat. Um, so anyway, do with that what you will. I hope you can use this to try to make better decisions or at least dole out your decisions in a more uh, efficient way. Uh, For the Cognitive Bias Podcast, I'm your host, David Dillon Thomas, and we will see you next time.